Welcome to the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership Podcast. I'm Melanie Blackman, Strategy Editor and Podcast Host for Health Leaders. My guest for today's episode is Dr. Indu Liu, Executive Vice President and Chief Pharmacy Officer at RWJ Barnabas Health, the largest, most comprehensive academic health system in New Jersey. During our conversation, Indu offers insights on a potential twindemic we may face this fall, how the pandemic has affected the pharmaceutical landscape, as well as shares her leadership style and advice for future leaders. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Indu. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Melanie, for having me today. I'm very excited. So to get us started, would you mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your healthcare background? Sure. Uh, my name is Indu Liu. I'm the Executive Vice President and Chief Pharmacy Officer for the RWJ Barnabas Health System in New Jersey. I am a pharmacist by background. I um, started uh, within our healthcare system as a pharmacy technician many years ago had the opportunity to work in the pharmaceutical industry for a while, came back to our health system because I missed direct patient care, was working as a clinical pharmacist at Newark Beth Israel Medical Center, and then had the opportunity to move over to corporate, started as a biotechnology fellow, then was promoted to director, vice president, senior vice president, and most recently executive vice president at the health system. Awesome. And so part of your role is to manage the health system's pharmaceutical supply chain and provide strategic leadership over the system's 23 pharmacy divisions. Is that correct? Yes. Actually, um, Melanie, it just recently became 25 divisions within the pharmacy enterprise. So providing services for 25 divisions and those 25 divisions are really divided into two sectors. So it is the acute care hospital pharmacy services and then also the integrated pharmacy healthcare services, which everything that is occurring outside of the traditional four walls of the hospital so when we look at our ambulatory care division, we have specialty home infusion pharmacy, specialty pharmacy, retail pharmacy, also managing our 340B service line. So that's 25 divisions span acute care and integrated services. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. What has been your experience leading as chief pharmacy officer during the COVID-19 pandemic, and how has the pandemic affected the overall pharmaceutical landscape and the 25 pharmacy divisions that you oversee? Well, one of the things that really came to light is how integral pharmacy is, and we've always known this, but how integral pharmacy is really in dealing with other divisions. The other thing with the pandemic, what we've seen is it's amazing the resiliency of the pharmacy enterprise team with the other divisions. It was a very, very difficult 2020. But one thing that we found is everybody came together, regardless of the division that you worked in, the entire pharmacy enterprise came together with the sole purpose of ensuring that we were able to treat our patients appropriately. So it was all hands on deck and everyone supporting each other. 
What we found is that we really needed to shift our way of thinking on how we manage supplies. I'm sure not only with our health system, but with other health systems, we really found ourselves at some critical medications that were at shortages. And what we needed to do going further is we needed to ensure that we had the adequate supplies on hand. And we do that now really through a centralized warehouse. So it's really all team members coming together to ensure that we have the pharmaceutical supplies on hand to treat our patients effectively. Recently, the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases released data showing that 44% of adults in the U.S. are either unsure or do not plan to get the flu vaccine for the 2021-22 flu season, leading to a possible COVID and flu twindemic later on this year. What factors could potentially lead us to this twindemic, especially with an increase in flu cases? And then we also have the Delta variant as well. Yeah, so in 2020, people being infected with flu, the numbers were historically low, nothing like we've ever seen before. So the number of infected people with flu was very, very low. It was probably due to having very good infectious disease practices, right? Because of the pandemic, we were masking better. We were social distancing. We had very good hand hygiene where we were ensuring that we were washing our hands. We knew that when people were sick, we made sure that they stayed home. So all of those things probably led to very, very low cases of flu. But what happens when we have low cases of flu? In general, then the people within the country have less natural immunity because the cases were so low. So with this less natural immunity, people are wondering, will we see an increased surge of flu in general? So that's one thing. The second thing is we know people are getting vaccinated with the COVID vaccine and people are really tired. They have pandemic fatigue. So hopefully what we won't see is that people will mask less. They will social distance less. We know more people are returning to work and returning to school. Are they going to ensure that they keep those safe infectious disease practices that we saw last year and ensure that they keep it in practice for the 21-22 flu season? We need to make sure of that. The other thing, too, is that every year, the World Health Organization determines which virus will be included in the flu vaccine, and they essentially base it on a couple factors. They look at the virus that have been circulating in the past two to three years, and the second thing is they look at what's been circulating in the Southern Hemisphere in the current flu season. Well, public health officials really don't have much to go on because there hasn't been much flu circulating globally. So because they don't have much to go on, they're really hoping that they're able to manage the flu better with the vaccine. So it's real, real critical that we ensure that everyone does continue to get vaccinated with the flu vaccine. What we've seen this year is we saw a similar pattern in the spring and summer timeframe of the resurgence of a common virus called RSV. 
So hospitals were reported seeing higher numbers of toddlers with RSV. Typically, we see RSV peaks around the October, November, December timeframe, but we started seeing it earlier in July. So that is most likely because these toddlers were not exposed as infants early in the months of the pandemic lockdown. So because we've not had flu emerge in the 2020 season, it's really difficult to tell what will happen in 2021 and 2022. Coupled with the fact that we're still battling COVID, we're still battling with the Delta variant. So we know the Delta variant is more contagious and more transmissible than the earlier virus strain. We know unvaccinated people are at greater risk. We've seen it within our hospitals. People that are hospitalized due to COVID, majority of them were unvaccinated. So vaccination really is the best protection we can have against Delta. But why is the Delta variant more transmissible? Well, really, it's for a couple of reasons. One, it probably reproduces at a faster rate. And two, the latent period for Delta. So that's from the time of exposure to the time that they're testing with the PCR test. That latent period, it's shorter with Delta than it was for the original strain. It's four days with a range of three to five days for Delta versus an incubation or latent period of five to eight days, on average six days with the original strain. So those are some reasons why we're really not sure what will happen with flu. We know that we have to continually protect against the Delta variant because we need to protect hospitalizations. We need to ensure that people are vaccinated. If they are vaccinated, it will decrease the potential strain that the healthcare system will see and really prevent having this twindemic that could potentially happen. So really vaccination is the key. In addition to ensuring vaccinations, what other steps can hospitals and health systems take to help curb the COVID cases and flu cases during this upcoming flu season? In conjunction with vaccinations, we have to ensure that people get tested, right? So you don't know if you're having the flu or if you're having COVID. So you need to make sure you get tested because it'll guide you in the right path. So we know that with early testing, it will give you a sense if you have COVID or you have the flu. If you do have COVID and you haven't been vaccinated, One of the key pieces that we found is you need to get to a site where they can give you a monoclonal antibody. And we've seen that. It's called the monoclonal antibody cocktails. If you have not been vaccinated and you're exhibiting signs of COVID, you need to get to a place that can give you the monoclonal antibody. Within our own health system, we've seen that we were able to avoid hospitalizations in 96% of the cases if they were treated with a monoclonal antibody. So that is one piece. And the same thing goes for flu. If you have flu and you're tested early, then there are options for treatment that will shorten the intensity and the course of the flu if you happen to get it. 
We'll be right back after this short break. Hi, I'm Alexandra Pecci, Revenue Cycle Editor at Health Leaders. Don't miss the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle Podcast, which drops the second Tuesday of every month. You'll get to hear Revenue Cycle executives sharing their innovative ideas and proven strategies for tackling big issues like price transparency, denials management, surprise billing, artificial intelligence, and so much more. Subscribe and listen to the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. So switching gears a little bit, let's talk about you. How would you describe your leadership style? I think if I would have to say the most important piece of my leadership style is really establishing a foundation of trust. If you, as a leader, establish a foundation of trust, people will come to you with new ideas and different ideas and they won't be afraid. If you establish that trust foundation, you then decrease the power distance. I trust the team that they will come to me with innovative entrepreneurial types of ideas and they trust that I will be able to clearly communicate what the strategic imperatives are. When you have that environment of trust, you're able to motivate them. You're able to inspire them. They won't be afraid of failing, and we call it failing forward. They won't be afraid to take a risk. So for me, the premise for anything of establishing yourself as a leader or really creating a successful path forward is establishing that foundation of trust. And I think within pharmacy, pharmacists are considered the most trusted profession, right? People place their care management in your hands as a pharmacist. So inherently, we go into the profession because we want to help people. We want to be a part of a team. We want to ensure that we are taking care of people. And it's that pharmacist having the most trusted profession that really kind of builds on establishing that foundation of trust. And I know you're a member of the Women's Leadership Alliance at RWJ Barnabas Health. Why do you think it's important for women to be leaders and to lift up each other? I think it's so important that we grow women in healthcare leadership roles. I think it's really, really critical. We know that women make up a large majority of the healthcare workforce, right? We also know that women make up a large percentage of the purchase and usage decisions in healthcare, but we don't see a lot of roles of women in healthcare leadership roles. It's so low. The percentage might be 20%. And as we go higher up in the senior executive leadership chain, the numbers start to dwindle even smaller. But it is really, really critical that we have women in healthcare leadership roles. Women in healthcare leadership roles brings diversity to the playing field. Diversity enhances the overall functioning of the leadership team. Diversity brings better outcomes, more innovation, more creative solutions. It allows to have different perspectives based on their experiences. 
but diversity really needs to be purposeful. And it's not easy, but it's getting easier. We need to make sure that we're intentional in bringing women up. And it's interesting when you talk about women in healthcare leadership roles, um, at least when, when I think about this and break it apart, I feel that affinity drives empathy and then empathy drives trust. And it's the trust that's built that influences decisions and hiring and promotions. So what do we mean by that? We tend to be a part of a group or bring on members of a team that we either look like or we think like or process information like or execute in the same way, right? Or invite them to social gatherings. That's the affinity. Well, then that affinity is driving a type of one-way thinking, but then you develop the empathy. And when you be develop that empathy, it drives the trust, but then that trust is based on all of those things that we talked about. What we need to do is we need to diversify that affinity pool because when we do so, we'll bring other people onto the team that think differently, that have different perceptions, different experiences. And overall, the strategic imperatives take on a different flavor, a different momentum, different solutions are brought into the mix. But it's really, really critical that we ensure that we are doing this for other women and we serve as mentors for other women and we make sure that we bring women purposefully into the team. So RWJ Barnabas Health recognizes the importance of diversity and especially having women at the table, having that seat at the table. So recently the organization has promoted six women of various backgrounds to the role of executive vice president. And with the promotion to executive vice president, they are now also included in the CEO's strategic council. They're also included as a member of the board. And that is just a testament to our system that they recognize the need to have diversity at the senior leadership level, but it's not only recognizing the need, it's acting on that, which is what our system has done so well. And what advice do you have for women who want to serve in leadership roles in the healthcare sector? I think the first thing is do not be afraid to take a calculated risk. We cannot be afraid to do so. We cannot be afraid to step into a realm that we may not have experiences in. We have to be able to take that risk. It is really, really critical to develop connections and influences, both internally and externally, right? So we need to make those connections. We need to look to see at the senior leadership level who we be able to either take on as a mentee or who can we make those connections with to be a mentor. So that is really important. It's really critical to bring your own unique perceptions, your unique perspective 
to the conversation and helps really shape that strategy. And sometimes it's difficult, right? Because, you know, there might be groupthink or only one way of approaching or doing something and to go out on a limb to say, hey, I have a different way of doing something. I have a different perspective. That's a really critical piece. The other thing too, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's real important to be lifelong learners. During the pandemic, we saw things changing so quickly. Decisions that were made in the morning would change in the afternoon because new information was flooding in. But unless you're a lifelong learner, it's really difficult to be dynamic. It's really difficult to be fluid. So that is really critical. And then the last important piece that I think for any leader, in order to motivate and inspire, in order to make decisive decisions, you have to listen. You have to listen to the members of your team. They will bring you new ideas, new innovation, as long as they trust that the environment that they're in is a safe environment. So that's the last piece is it's very, very important to listen. Well, Indu, I really appreciate you joining me today and sharing your expertise and your advice with us. Oh, thank you so much, Melanie, for the opportunity. Absolutely. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the Health Leaders Women in Healthcare Leadership podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other. Thank you.